I'm Christine and I'll be your online host for today. I'm so glad you're joining us on this lovely morning and a very special welcome for all our first time guests. If this is your first time tuning in, you are our VIP. Please text me to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we'll mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. It's a way for us to connect with you and to say thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us today. Parents, we have a fun and interactive online lessons for your children every week. Simply visit mythrive.info and click Thrive Kids Online. There will be worship, a lesson, crafts, and activity sheets for your kids. You'll also find all the information you need to join our Thrive Kids Zoom classes for kids ages 3 to 12 every Sunday from 10.45 to 11.15 a.m. Here at Thrive, we like to be an engaging church. This week in Vancouver, it's been really hot outside. I've been trying to cool myself off with trying all sorts of ice cream flavors and popsicles. So my question for you is, do you like ice cream or popsicles more? I'm an ice cream girl. Comment in the chat room or tell a person next to you if you like ice cream or popsicles. Now, share your excitement about Thrive Church Online by taking a selfie of yourself tuning into Thrive Church Online and posting it on all of your social media platforms. And be sure to tag us at hashtag Thrive Church Online. All right, so have your morning coffee or tea ready and let's buckle up for today's message. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive Church, and I'm so excited to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you are what we call our VIP, and we especially want to welcome you. In fact, if you want to go to mythrive.info and touch the button that says New to Thrive, we'd love to send straight to your door your very own stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle, just a simple way for us to say thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to Thrive Church Online. Can you give all of our VIPs in this place a big hand, a big shout together right now? In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive's that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you welcome one of the church today? Go into your chat rooms, go to the neighbors sitting beside you. If you've got one there, give them a high five, a handshake, a warm hug, uh, and just tell them it's so good to have you here today. So good to have you here today. Welcome everybody to church. It is so amazing to see each and every one of you here. Today is a very special day. Uh, we're going to be doing another number of special things today. Uh, before I get into anything else, I want to let you know in just a few weeks, we are celebrating Father's Day. And so a big shout out to all the dads in the house today. We have a special gift we want to mail to you, a simple way to let you know that we're thinking of you and celebrating you at this time. And so if you want to give us your mailing address, 
Go to mythought.info to do so. We would love to send to you your own Father's Day gift. Just a simple way to say happy Father's Day, honoring you on that day. And so do so if you're a dad in this place. Uh, And uh, if you're not in a dad in this place, this next one is for you. The fact is that we're going to be all participating later on today in something called communion. Everyone say communion. Communion is a chance for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, how he died for our sins. And so if you uh, are uh, here and you want to take communion with us, I encourage you to get ready for that. You might want to get a piece of bread, uh, a cup. We use grape juice here at Thrive to represent the blood of Jesus. If you want to use something else, if you only don't have grape juice, you've got water, you've got something else, feel free to use that. Grab a piece of bread to represent the body that Jesus broke on the cross for us. And we're going to be doing communion together in just a little bit. Great to have you here. Uh, Before we get into the message today, I thought it was important for me to speak to one very important thing that uh, has been very much in the news this past week, is that last week, uh, the remains of 215 children were found in a mass grave located at uh, an old residential school site in Kamloops uh, in BC. And if you don't really know much about residential schools, the fact is, if I'd be honest with you, I, I haven't heard or learned much about residential school schools until uh, just recently. And I, you know, if you're not really sure what those are, well, under the mandate of the Canadian government back in the 1880s or, or 80s or so, residential schools operated and they were all geared toward assimilating First Nations children to Western European Canadian culture. They wanted to convert them to Christianity. They wanted them to do away with their original cultures and become civilized British subjects. And so that's why in 1920, under the Indian Act, it became mandatory for every indigenous child to attend a residential school. And it became illegal for them to attend any other school. Uh, As a result, First Nations and other indigenous children were taken from their families. They were forbidden to speak their own language, even though many of them only knew that language. Uh, They were forbidden to practice their indigenous customs. Their braids and long hair were cut short. They were often malnourished. They often received only lower elementary school level education, whereas the rest of the time was spent doing manual labor, like farming and laundry and sewing. A lot of former students of residential schools speak about terrible abuse that happened in those residential schools by the staff of those schools. There was physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, emotional trauma, uh, and a lot of psychological abuse that took place in those schools. In 2015, it was estimated that about 6,000 children died in the residential school system, and that many more abused and traumatized, and that the fact is that they just didn't come home. What happened in the residential school system is nothing short of a national crime and an inexcusable atrocity. The hardest part for me is learning and knowing that these residential schools were run supposedly by Christian churches. And as we've been learning in the book of Isaiah, we believe that God has a heart for all nations, for every person. He loves you in the skin that you're in. And, you know, the fact is we believe God wants every person on the planet to know him because he loves them, wants a relationship with them. But does that mean that God advocates cultural genocide? No, he does not. Does that mean that God wants to take First Nations and other indigenous children and separate them from their families, strip them of their language and customs, 
cancel out their culture? Not at all. The fact is God loves every person on this planet in the skin that they're in. He's the one who determined the places where they would live, the times they would live in, and even the cultures that they would grow up in. And that's why when you read the Bible, you're going to find that heaven is not a place of one color or one language or one culture, but heaven is filled with people of every color, every culture, every language. And the fact is this, a lot of things are done both now and in history that are done in the name of Christianity, but have nothing to do with Christianity, that are the opposite of what Christianity is all about. And so just because someone says that they're Christian, just because someone does something in the name of Christianity, that doesn't mean that it's really Christian. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. And the fact is that, you know, I don't know what specific churches in the past decades were involved in the residential school system. They say that apparently church involvement in residential schools ended in approximately 1969 when the Department of Indian Affairs took over from there. The abuses unfortunately continued. We're not connected to any churches that were involved in the residential school system. Still, because these things were done in the name of Christianity, and as a Christian myself and as a pastor, on behalf of Christians here at Thrive Church in Vancouver, in BC, across Canada, I want to apologize to the families of every child that never got to go home, to the survivors of the residential school system, to First Nations peoples and other Indigenous groups, and to people everywhere who have been hurt, traumatized, broken by the inexcusable evils that took place in the residential school system. Our hearts ache for you. Our hearts break for you. Our hearts break for the 215 children who didn't get to go home and for their families who never got to see them again. There's no excuse for something like that. Our hearts break for you, and I believe God's heart breaks for you as well. See, what you experienced was not Christianity. What you experienced there was a very false, perverted version of something masquerading as Christianity. And I pray that one day you would find it in your heart to forgive, but also maybe, just maybe, find it in your heart to one day try to discover what real, life-giving, multicultural, truth and reconciliation-based Christianity is all about. See, today, because we want to be part of the solution, today we're going to be doing something special, is that a portion of our offerings will be going to the Kuus, and you got to forgive me for my pronunciation of the Kuus Crisis Hotline. The Kuus Crisis Line Society provides a First Nations and Indigenous Peoples specific crisis hotline that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll free from anywhere in British Columbia. And what it does is it's a place to give support to people who are from a First Nations or Indigenous background when it comes to mental health issues relating to crisis, whether it's regarding residential school or child welfare or, or you know, addiction or health concerns or divorce and separation or suicide ideation or survivorship or grief and loss, crime, you know, abuse, peer pressure, financial distress. I was talking with the executive director of Kuu's Crisis Hotline yesterday, and they're saying that they, they say that they approximately get about a thousand calls a month 
a thousand calls a month. And you can imagine that, especially at a time like this, uh, they're getting way, way more traffic on that hotline right now. And so we want to be part of supporting them during this time. And so a portion of your offerings, when you give to Thrive Church today, a portion of your offerings will be going toward supporting that hotline so that people in the First Nations and indigenous uh, groups can have support during this time. If you believe that, say amen. You know, because so many people, both throughout history and today, misinterpret the Bible and misunderstand the mission of Christianity. That's why it's so important to know what the message, the real message of the Bible really is. And that's why we're here. And so if you have your Bibles right now, it's time to get those out. And uh, we're going to get into the message today. I know that, you know, things have started off on a bit of a somber note, but we're going to look toward hope because we believe our God is a God of hope. And so I'm going to encourage you to grab your Bibles right now. And this is just a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you get it out right now? And let's say this together in a big, loud voice. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you are new to church, if you've never been to church before, you've never read the Bible before, you're new to Jesus, you're new to Christianity, we're so thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find some hope and some encouragement, a place where you can find some community, a place where you can ask the questions that are on your mind. If there's any way that we can be serving you, we would love to know. You can email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. You can also go to our Next Steps website, which is mythrive.ca info. Uh, you know, one thing that we don't have time too much to get into today is for those who are wondering, you know, how can I really trust the Bible? Can I really trust the Bible? Isn't it full of myths and legends? And isn't it just something that some guy put together or the, the, the cultural elite put together? Can I really trust the Bible? Well, if you've got that question today, if you're wondering, you know, how do Christians call the Bible God's word? What good reasons do you have to do so? Then I invite you to check out a message that we did just last year. It's called, Can I Really Trust the Bible? It's part of a series that we did called Overcome My Unbelief, where we're talking about some of the biggest questions people have about Christianity. And so I encourage you, you can go to mythrive.info to check out that series. You can also check it out at our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. It is so great to have you here. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called waiting for sunrise. And this series is all about how do you keep your hope alive in a season of waiting? Maybe you're in a season of waiting right now. We all are. Praise God here in BC. We know that COVID cases are going down. Finally, it's under 200 for, uh, you know, for, for once. And, uh, you know, we are still waiting. We don't, we're not, we're not content with just, you know, under 200. We want to see COVID being a thing of the past completely. Something that is contained where we can go back to life as normal. But in the meantime, we are waiting. Maybe in other ways you are waiting right now, this series is for you. We're talking about how do you keep your hope alive, especially when you're waiting longer than you would like to. And we're learning some powerful lessons about that and other very important lessons about who God is in a series called Waiting for Sunrise, where we're looking at the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And today, we are well into the series now. If you missed any episode, you can feel free to check it out at our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast. But today, we're focusing in on Isaiah 
Isaiah chapters 49 to 53. Let me begin by setting this up with a story that I've never told any of you before. This happened a number of years ago on Christmas morning. And uh, I won't tell you which of my sons this involves, but it involved one of my sons when he was just a baby. See, one Christmas morning, we went to my aunt's house for a family Christmas meal. And it came around the time when the son of mine had to take a nap. He's just a baby at the time. So, you know, my wife, Charlene, she says, okay, JB, can you just uh, put him in the car, drive him around a little bit, and he will eventually fall asleep. I'm like, no problem. I've done this before. No worries. I got this. So I I take my son into the car. I strap him into the kid's seat. Uh, I get into the front driver's seat. And then just as about, uh, just as when I'm about to drive away, I'm like, oh wait, I, I forgot my son's toy. So I get out of the car. I close the door. I go back. I get his toy. And I'm just about to go back in the car when I'm trying to open the front driver's seat door. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's locked. I can't, oh, where are my keys? Oh my goodness, the keys are in the car. And the car, thankfully, wasn't on. It wasn't running, but I'm locked out of the car and my son is locked inside the car. And like, oh my goodness. And so I'm like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So you know what I did? I, I decided I'm gonna call BCAA. They said, okay, we're gonna come as soon as we can. And in the meantime, I'm trying to not look panicked while my son is in the, in the, in the, in the car seat, just kind of cooing and laughing and smiling and I'm like, oh, like, please let, let BCA come soon. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting a really long time. It feels like I'm waiting forever and I'm just trying to play peekaboo. Hey, hi, I'm right here. Daddy's here. And I don't know if it crossed his mind that why isn't daddy coming in? But the fact is that I was locked out and he was locked in and eventually BCA came in and they gave us this tool to kind of prop open my door such that they could open and unlock my door. I opened the door. I got my keys. I grabbed my son. Oh, thank God you're okay. Oh my goodness. What a stressful Christmas morning that was. Why do I mention this story? Uh, A story where I was locked out of my car and my son is locked inside the car and I'm trying to get him out. It's because whether you know it or not, the book of Isaiah is really at the end of the day, the story of a God who's trying to rescue his people out of captivity. The book of Isaiah is really about God rescuing people when they are locked into a situation that they can't get out of. And see, last week we talked about how Isaiah is writing in about 700 BC to his own Jewish people, but he's writing to people who are not yet born. He's got these messages from God to people who are of a future generation. And he's writing to them saying that one day you guys will be captives in another land called Babylon, but God is gonna use a man called Cyrus who is going to bring you out of captivity and back to your homeland in Jerusalem. And this actually happens. About 150 years after Isaiah writes this message, a guy called Cyrus, who rises up to become the king of the Persians and Medes, would conquer Babylon and free the Jewish exiles in Babylon such that they can leave captivity and finally go back to their homeland. See, 150 years before Cyrus would rescue the Jewish exiles from captivity, Isaiah Isaiah is predicting it in Isaiah's chapter of 41 to 48. But you notice something. Starting in chapter 49 of Isaiah, Isaiah stops talking about Babylon. Isaiah stops talking about Cyrus. Why is it? Because Isaiah 40 to 55 is really a story, not just about one captivity, 
but two captivities. See, the first captivity is the one we just mentioned. It's a political captivity. It involves the people of Judah, the Jewish people. It involves being held captive in a place called Babylon. As a result of their captivity, they are separated from their homeland. It is a political captivity. And so God's gonna send a political deliverer to deliver them from this first political captivity that deliverer's name is Cyrus. But there's a second captivity that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 49 to 55. And it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with the condition of people's hearts. It is a spiritual captivity. See, this captivity involves not just the Jewish people. It actually involves all people, all nations, both back then and people uh, today, including you and me. It's the idea that each one of us is held captive by something called sin. Is that sin? What is sin? Sin is that tendency in each and every one of us to want to do things our way, not God's way. It's when we you know, say, you know, to hell God with whatever you say, whatever you think, I'm to do things my way. And as a result of sin, we often alienate ourselves from God such that we can't have much to do with God. And as a result of sin, we end up hurting ourselves and a lot of other people in the process. Because of sin, our relationships are broken. Because of sin, our view of the world can often be broken. Because of sin, we can't have anything to do with God who is holy, holy, holy. And so with all that in mind, sin is destructive. Sin is like a captor that holds us captive. And and Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 49, all the way to 55, he's saying that God is going to send a deliverer to deliver you from this captivity to sin. It's not a political captivity. It's a spiritual captivity. And the deliverer that he has in mind is someone that Isaiah simply calls the servant. The servant. Now, before we go into detail about who this servant is and what this servant would do, let me ask you a question. See, what lesson can we learn from the fact that Isaiah talks about not just one, but two captivities? See, if you're a Jewish exile living in Babylon, and you're reading in Babylon, you're a captive in Babylon, and you're reading Isaiah's message from 150 years before, saying that one day you're going to go back to your homeland in Jerusalem, you might think, oh my goodness, that is what I want. That is what I need. That is going to be my hope, my salvation. That's when life is going to be all good again. And you're like, I can't wait for that day. I'm waiting for that day. The thing is this, the fact is God is wanting to rescue his people, not just from a political captivity, but even more from a spiritual captivity because it was their spiritual captivity to sin that led to the political captivity in the first place. And there's a lesson we can learn from that is that even when your life is relatively free of physical suffering or political suffering or relationship suffering or emotional suffering, even when your life is relatively free of these kinds of suffering, you can still be held captive by sin and sin can still cause problems in your life. See, on the outside, everything might look great. On the screen, in social media, everything might look so awesome. But if you don't deal with the problem called our captivity to sin, we're going to be in trouble. And it's going to result in trouble eventually. And see, by talking about the second captivity, God is basically saying to the Jewish exile, he's saying, actually, you know what? Your problem, your biggest problem is actually not Babylon. Your biggest problem is that you don't trust me. 
Your biggest problem is a captivity to sin. And so as you wait to be taken out of Babylon and brought back to your homeland, Jerusalem, don't just put your hope in you know, that day when you can leave Babylon. Put your hope in me both now and even after this exile is over. And see, it just goes to show that sometimes what we think is our biggest problem is not actually our biggest problem. Has that ever happened to you before? See, God, he is more concerned about your spiritual condition. When I say spiritual condition, I don't, I don't just mean you know, the very mystical, stereotypical, oh, I'm so spiritual. No, it's, it's about the condition of your heart. It's about your values. It's about your, your, your perspective. It's about the purity of your thoughts. It's about your priorities. It's about the way you treat others. It's about the kind of person that you are, the kind of character that you hold. That is all part of your spiritual condition. God is more concerned about your spiritual condition than your financial condition or your political situation, or your immigration status, or, or, or your physical health. He's more concerned about what's going on inside than whatever's going on outside, because the inside so affects what happens on the outside. And see, that's not, it's not that those things aren't important, it's just that they're not as important as what's going on in here. And see, because none of, uh, none of those other things are going to last, only your spiritual condition will last. And see, here's a question today. Is there a recurring spiritual problem in your heart that keeps causing you problems in your life on the outside? It's, uh, it starts inside, maybe, you know, you know it's a, a tendency to worry, or it's a, you, know, you get easily offended often, or you get annoyed very easily, or you give up easily, or you tend to just trust in your way instead of God's way. Is there a, is there a spiritual problem that is recurring in your heart that often leads to problems in your workplace? or in your relationships, or in the decisions that you make. See, God is more concerned about your spiritual condition than any other aspect of your life. And when we don't let God deal with our spiritual condition, we will inevitably fall back into the same problems in other areas of our life. See, God will use times of waiting, things that don't go our way, to reveal those issues in our lives that are on the inside of us those issues that need work, those issues that need attention. He will use times of waiting, waiting to reveal those. It's almost like, you know, when you're boiling water and you're, you're turning up the heat, he will use that pressure to, in some ways, reveal what those issues are so you can identify them, so you can give it time to heal and time to grow in ways that maybe you wouldn't if everything was going your way. Amen. See, don't just put your hope in when COVID is finally over. We're all looking forward to that, but that is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in God because those other things will go away, but God remains the same. So don't put your circumstances, you put your hope in the circumstances, put your hope in God who is bigger than the circumstances. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, let God be your hope. Let God be your hope. Not that job, when I get that job, when that school opens up, when I get in there, you know, when I get married. All those things are other, they're not as important as the hope you need to place in God. Now, let's go back. Isaiah 40 to 55 is really a tale of two captivities. Let me show you a chart here. So this is kind of one half and the other half. And so two captivities we've just talked about. Chapters 40 to 48 are talking about a political captivity to Babylon. It affects who? It only affects the Jewish exiles. And who's the deliverer God is going to send? His name is Cyrus. That's chapters 48, 40 to 48 of Isaiah. And then in chapters 49 to 55 of Isaiah, we see that God is talking 
talking about another kind of captivity. It's a spiritual captivity to sin. And who does it affect? It affects not just the Jewish people. It affects all of us, every single one of us, all people. And who is this deliverer that God is going to send to deliver us from this captivity? It's a guy that he calls the servant or the Messiah. And we're going to look today at who the servant is. And the fact is this. We're going to focus today on Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is often known as like the most powerful. It's like the apex, the mountaintop when it comes to discussing Isaiah, discussing who this Messiah is. But even before we get there, leading up to Isaiah, Isaiah gives several details of what this servant would look like, who he is and what he would do. And so let's kind of just, just look at some of those things right now. Chapter 49, a few clues that Isaiah gives of who the servant is. One is this, is that God will make him, that servant, a covenant for the people. He says, you will be a covenant for the people. What does that mean? It means that that this servant will become the centerpiece to a new relationship between God and the people. He will become the centerpiece to this new agreement, this new way between God and people that they're going to relate. He's going to become a covenant for the people. Another one is that he's going to be despised at first, but later on people, even kings, will bow down to him. Another one is this, is that captives will find freedom and hope in his name. The thirsty will never thirst again. So these are all clues and hints talking about this servant. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50, there are there's some more clues. He talks about how the servant is going to go to God every morning and listen for his voice, and he's going to receive counsel and words that can refresh weary people. That's one of the things that the servant's going to do. Another thing is that the servant is going to suffer for doing what is right, and even though he's rejected, even though it's hard, he's going to keep on trusting God that God is with him. Another one is this, is that the servant is, is, some, is on a very different level than any other prophet you will see in the Old Testament, is that to obey his word word means to trust God. To obey his word means to obey God. To obey God's word means to revere and fear God. See, at first people are like, oh, is it Isaiah? You know, is, is he talking about himself? Or, or is it the nation of Israel that they're talking about? Like, who's he talking about? But I think more and more you're going to see that this is, this is not an ordinary person that we're talking about, especially as we go into chapter 51. It says, he will bring laws, justice, and salvation to the nations. His salvation will last forever. In other words, the salvation that he brings to people will last forever. Ever. No prophet in the Old Testament ever said, I bring you salvation. It, they don't. It, it's, so it's, it's obviously not just an ordinary prophet. Another one is his righteousness will never fail. The ends of the earth will put their hope in him. And he even says this, is that this servant was there even when Abraham existed. And so this is like a thousand plus years before even Isaiah was born. He's saying this servant existed and blessed Abraham. And so this is not some ordinary guy. This is not some you know, ordinary human being. But somehow there's something divine about the servant as well. And see, with all that in mind, we're going to look at Isaiah 53 right now. And see, Isaiah, he is writing about 700 years before Jesus would be born. And the fact is this, so that, you know, we, we, we get it out of the way. I think you all know where I'm going with this. The fact is that the servant that Isaiah is talking about is not Isaiah. It's not Israel. It's Jesus Christ. And actually, Isaiah 53 is a song. Do you guys know that? It's actually probably a song that was sung. And just as, you know, 
worship songs that we sing here at church have like, you know, a verse and a chorus and maybe another verse. This song that we have in Isaiah 53 has five verses. And though there's no express chorus, there is a refrain or a message that, that, that gets repeated over and over again, which is that the servant would die for our sins. That's the message of Isaiah 53. Now, I think another thing to know about the song in Isaiah 53 is the song is a duet. Uh, do you guys have a favorite duet? You know, when, when I was growing up here in Vancouver, my dad used to listen to a lot of 60s and 70s and 80s music. And so I grew up listening to duets like, you know, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie, you know, uh, Endless Love, you know, uh, what, what, how's long does it go? It goes, my love, there's only you in my life, the only thing that's right. And then Diana Ross goes, my first love, you're every breath that I take, you're every step I make. And then they sing together, and I, yeah, yeah, that's endless love, right? And then when I was living in Taiwan, every wedding I would go to in Taiwan, they always played this song by two singers called Jolene and David Tao. And it goes, right? And then there's a part where Jolene and David Tao, they do this back and forth thing. They go like, Jolene in the house, DT in the house, Jolene in the house, DT in the house. And it's actually kind of cute. It's, 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 you know, it, that's another duet. Another one, you know, there's so many duets on the radio these days, but one of my favorites, or it was a favorite of mine before, was Charlie Puth and Selena Gomez. You know, we don't talk anymore. Oh. We don't talk anymore. Oh. You know, and, and, and those are all duets. Two people singing. Why do I mention duets? It's because I don't know if you know this, but Isaiah 53 is a duet. It's a duet of two singers who are God and Isaiah. God and Isaiah are going to sing a duet together. And so the next time you hear a duet on the radio or on your phone, think of Isaiah 53 because it's a duet as well. Now, each stanza in this duet has a theme. And there's going to be five themes in Isaiah 53 that speak to what the servant is going to do or what's going to happen to the servant. So let's go through them right now. Isaiah 52, verse 13 to 15 is the first stanza. So we're actually going to take it from the very end of 52. Is that the first theme of that first stanza of the song is reversal. Reversal. In other words, it's that a servant is going to be exalted. Someone who is low is going to be brought high. Someone who serves is going to become someone who reigns. That's what's happening. A servant will be exalted. And God, he begins this duet by singing with the end in mind, just as God so often does. He's got the end in mind. And so he's not going to talk about the suffering first. He's going to begin with the end in mind. My servant will be exalted. And what does it say? Verse 13 says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. What is it referring to? When it's talking marred beyond human likeness. See, this is referring to the physical torment that Jesus would go through when, he's, when, he, when, when he would die at the crucifixion. And you know, for so many of us, because you know, crucifixion is not a common part of, of any culture today, or most cultures today. And so, you know, when we read in the gospels and all it says is he was crucified, it kind of gets lost on us what exactly that means. Back in the gospel writer's times, you didn't have to explain it because it was so common. Everyone knew just how humiliating and how painful crucifixion was. If you don't believe me, just check out any medical report that describes the kind of crucifixion that Jesus went through. It is 
incredible. Just never mind the psychological trauma. Never mind the, the emotional and the spiritual trauma that happens, even just physically, the way he is beaten down, the way that they, they put nails, not through the palms, but through the wrist, through the small indent in your wrist, so it goes straight through, and that the way you can be held up on the cross. You know, the way that they would flog him, such that they would take these, these cat of nine tails with you know, glass and lead balls, they would whip Jesus on the back such that eventually that it will break through his skin, start ripping into his arteries, such that his back is now like ribbons. It's like a feather duster. And like his, they're going to beat him in the head. He's going to have experience head trauma. He's bleeding with a crown of thorns coming out of his scalp. It's like, and it, it, at the end of the day, Isaiah is describing that he sees someone who's a servant who is so disfigured from being beaten up, so disfigured from being tortured that it is beyond human likeness. And, and you know, it, on, on this side of heaven, we will probably never fully understand what Jesus went through to save us from our captivity to sin. We'll probably understand it in heaven because Jesus has those scars in heaven. And, and this is the thing, is that 700 years before it all happens, Isaiah sees it. He's like, you know, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. So keep in mind, Isaiah, he's just writing down what he's seeing. He might not understand it all, but he's writing it down and what he sees is this really disfigured person who is going to somehow sprinkle something on many nations and somehow by sprinkling them, he's going to lead them to a greater, deeper awe and understanding than they've ever had before. Let's move on. So that's, that's the first stanza. It's about reversal. A servant will be exalted. Then go to theme number two, which is stanza number two in the song, which is rejection. Now this is Isaiah's turn to sing. And what does he sing? He says in verse one, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He, he, he was despised and we esteemed him not. If you could underline that one word, we, esteemed him not. See, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus would die on the cross, and yet he says, we esteemed him not. He puts himself in the picture. He's not just like, you guys didn't esteem him. He's like, I did too. I failed too. In fact, we all did. We includes you and me. The fact is, all of us have not esteemed Jesus the way that he is meant to be esteemed. All of us have done things that have given Jesus not esteem, but we've given him the opposite. We've done things, we've said things, we've made decisions, we've, 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 we've thought things that are not glorifying to God, but in fact, the opposite. We esteemed him not. That's you and that's me. All of us, we've esteemed him not. But then it goes on. So the, the, the theme is rejection, is that you know, Jesus is rejected by by the people. He comes to serve them, and yet he's rejected them. You rejected him. I rejected him. Isaiah rejected him. The world rejected him. But then we go to the third stanza, and it talks about one other theme. The theme is replacement. Replacement. Verse four says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. See, people who don't understand what Jesus is and what he does, could look at the cross and go, you know what? 
you know, karma got him. You know, what goes around comes around. He must have done something really bad in this lifetime or a previous lifetime, and that's why he suffers. That, that, that's what karma is. It's the idea that, you know, every time something bad happens to you, it's because you did something bad either in this time, lifetime or a lifetime before, and that's karma. How many of us know that karma and the Bible are not consistent? The, the Bible goes out of its way to correct our understanding of suffering, that it's not because of karma that we suffer. It's because suffering is a complicated issue. Sometimes do we suffer because of our own sins? Of course, for sure. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's sins? Yes. Sometimes we suffer because God allows us suffering to do a greater purpose in our lives. So suffering is a complicated one. You know, but the fact is, Jesus, the reason he suffered was not because he had sinned. It says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Verse five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by by his wounds, we are healed. Notice it doesn't say by our works, we are healed. It says by his wounds, we are healed. It doesn't say by your resume, you are healed. Or by how good you try to be before God, you are healed. Or you know, if you're a good enough person, you will be healed. Or you know, if you try hard enough and, you're, and you help a lot of people, that you will be healed. You will be rescued from captivity to sin. You can go to heaven and be with God. No, it doesn't say any of that. It says by his wounds, we are healed. By the wounds that Jesus received at the cross, we somehow receive healing. Not by our works, but by his wounds. Who needs this healing? We all do. Every single one of us does. Verse six says, we all like sheep have gone astray. See, it's not a coincidence that in our sin, God compares us to sheep. Because sheep are not very smart animals. Sheep are actually pretty stupid. They get lost very easily. They tend to want to do their own thing. Their very existence depends on someone stronger than them to nurture them, and yet they so often stubbornly choose to do their own thing anyway. In fact, it's probably an insult to sheep that Isaiah con like compares us in our sin to sheep because the thing with sheep is that at least when they get burned, they don't go back to the same thing that burned them. But we often do that. We often, you know, we fall into the fire and like, oh, oh we're gonna fall into the fire again. That's kind of how stupid we can be sometimes. We miss the way and get lost that way. But see, it says each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's that because each of us turned from, our, from God to our own way, did our own thing, all of us have sinned against God. All of us are separate from him. All of us are held captive by sin such that we are alienated from God, can have nothing to do with him. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death and separation from God, but because God didn't want to be separate from us, because he loves us with an unchanging, unconditional, unlimited love, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to pay for us so that by his wounds, we can be healed. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, big shout in the place together right now. Amen. What we were supposed to suffer, Jesus suffered in our place. That's the third theme of this whole song. It's replacement. Jesus took our place. Turn to your say, Jesus took our place. Theme number four, stanza number four, is about restraint and resultant death. See, it says in verse seven, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You know, in today's culture, 
whenever there's injustice. I think a lot of, you know, Western culture at least is a lot about speaking up against injustice. And that's a good thing. God says, the Bible says, we need, we need to speak up against injustice. The thing is that it's, you know, I find that sometimes in our culture, it goes to this extreme where not only do we speak up against injustice, but we cancel out everybody who had anything to do with it. There's no more, remo- there's, there's, no, there's no more forgiveness. There's no more second chance. There's no more grace. There's no more trying to understand. It says, oh, he did that out. He did that cancel. And, and, and that's, that's how it works in a world. And, and I just find that, you know, so, you know human beings, uh, the human spirit, when not helped by the spirit of God, when not humbled before the spirit of God, can go to these extremes where we're just like, we're just self-righteously all about, you know, castigating and condemning people, canceling them out. Oh, you, 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 you suck. And we just cancel them out. Or we're just like completely loose and totally merciful, but have no sense of justice. When with God, he is velvet and steel. He is gentle and strong. He is just and merciful. And Jesus, the reason why Jesus says nothing in the midst of all his injustice is not because he's scared. It's not because he didn't see the injustice. It's because he's doing something else. It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears of son, so he did not open his mouth. The fact is, everything about what Jesus went through at his crucifixion was wrong. Everything about his trial was illegal. He could have said, I want a retrial. You know, this is all illegal. This is all bogus. But he said nothing. He he could have said, I don't deserve any of this. He said nothing. And and here's the thing. Jesus, just imagine this. Jesus, with a word, could calm a storm. Jesus, with a word, could wither a tree. Jesus, with a word, could, could unarm an armed mob. Jesus could have easily killed Pilate or Caiaphas or a high priest or a mob that was going after him with a word if he wanted to. But he shows incredible restraint. Why? Instead, he gets all this injustice. He gets all this suffering. He's, he's, he's hurt in all these different ways. Why? Because he's taking on our hurts as well. He's taking on your suffering. If you've been a victim of some incredible suffering, some incredible injustice, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. In fact, that's why he went to the cross, so that you wouldn't have to suffer alone. God is not a God who just kind of stands idly by to watch his people suffer. Jesus, the son of God, stepped into our suffering so that you can know there is someone who knows what you go through. That's Jesus. Everything but what he went through was unjust, and yet he didn't open his mouth. It says, verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. In other words, Jesus died. He died. Unlike what some later Gnostic gospels would say, oh, like, you know, and they were written, you know, many, many, many years after the original gospels, there was only a Jesus, he didn't die. You know, he, he, he actually didn't, you know, he, he actually got, he married Mary Magdalene. They had children. You know, no, no, th- th- he died. And he died without children. He died in the prime of his life. And he wasn't doing it for, because he sent, he was doing it for the transgressions of us. It says, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He died for our sins. Verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What's going on? Jesus is the only blameless and innocent one. And yet he's crucified and killed like some common criminal. Normally, criminals who are crucified, after they died, they would be dumped into some common grave. But for some reason, Jesus was given the tomb of a rich man. 
Joseph of Arimathea, he was a secret follower of Jesus, a rich man. And he decided, I'm going to donate my tomb to Jesus and let Jesus' body be buried there. Isaiah, he sees 750 years before that somehow Jesus is going to be aligned with a rich man in his death. And it reminds me of a story of a guy called Dr. Thomas Adler. Dr. Thomas Adler, he was a Romanian Jewish doctor who was a survivor of a World War II concentration camp. And he managed to escape from that concentration camp only to find that his relatives had died in another concentration camp in Auschwitz. Auschwitz. And and, he he began studying Hebrew history and archaeology and and started studying studying the Hebrew Bible just in a way to kind kind of give himself therapy, just to kind of recover from this incredible trauma and this incredible hurt that he's experienced. And you know, as he's reading the Hebrew Bible, what struck him in Isaiah 53, where it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He's like, he's like, he was wounded for our transgressions. See, all my life, you know, he said, all my life, you know, I, I've, I've been, to, like, you know, my rabbis and, 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 and Jewish teachers have told me that, that this suffering servant is Israel. It's Israel who's going through all this suffering. And yet, but it keeps on saying he. Who is this he? He was bruised. He was wounded by his wounds. Who is this he? And, and, and the key for Dr. Adler is when he looked at this verse, verse nine, where it says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And all of a sudden he thought about Joseph of Arimathea. He thought about how there was this rich man who offered this grave for Jesus. And like a light bulb, something turned on for Dr. Adler where he bought a New Testament and he finally concluded that, you know what? This servant is not Israel. This servant is not Isaiah. This servant is Jesus of Nazareth. And as a result, he places faith in Jesus and became a Christian and was on his way to healing from the trauma of, the, of what he'd experienced in this past. See, it's, it's, it's the power of God's word. And see, that's... That's the fourth stanza, restraint and resulting death. Finally, the fifth stanza. What is the theme of the fifth stanza? The theme is resurrection and reward. Verse 10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. In other words, this was not some random thing that happened, but God had his will in it. God always has a will, even in the most incredible suffering. We might not understand it. We might understand completely on this side of heaven, but God promises that in all things, he works for the good of those who love him, that all things work together for good, that he makes all things beautiful in his time. Even the worst kind of suffering, God, he doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't approve it, but he will use it anyways because free acting people like us, we can do all sorts of messes, but God will somehow in his sovereignty find a way to do something great at the end of the day. And so it was part of God's will. It says, though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Wait, wait, wait. How, how does Jesus, who died childless with no descendants in verse eight, see offspring in verse 10? It's because we are his offspring. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we are his offspring. But to those who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his offspring. And it's this idea that he's gonna prolong his days and the will of God will prosper in his hand. And then in verse 11, it says, it now switches back to God who's gonna end off this duet. And God sings, he says, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He'll be satisfied. In other words, he's going to see life again. See, back in Isaiah's time, people thought that when you died, you died and you stayed, you didn't go to heaven. Instead, you stayed in a place called Shoal. 
And Shoal was like this gray, boring, empty, purposeless place where you just sat there like almost like sitting at a bus stop waiting for a bus or sitting in a doctor's office waiting for your appointment. You're just kind of sitting there going, oh, and, and just kind of there until the very end of time when there's a resurrection of all believers everywhere. That's what the Jewish people believe. That's what you know, people in Isaiah's time believe. But here Isaiah says something, there's something different's gonna happen with this guy. Something different's gonna happen with this servant is that after the suffering of the soul, he won't go to Shoal, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. In other words, Jesus is gonna see life again. After his death, he will see life, he will look at the work he's done, he will be satisfied, and by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. What does it mean to justify? Justify means to declare not guilty. It means you're not guilty. It means that whatever thing you did last night, whatever thing you said this morning, whatever mistake that still haunts you to this day, because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, God looks at you and says, you're not guilty. I forgive you. I receive you. That is what it means to be called justified. In Jesus Christ, we are justified from our sins and he will bear their iniquities. Praise God. Verse 12, therefore, I will, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. See, in other words, because Jesus served like nobody else has ever served, Jesus will reign like nobody else has ever reigned. That's what he's gonna do. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 isn't just a song but it's actually one of the most vivid, most powerful pictures in the Old Testament of what Jesus Christ would do for each and every one of us. And I, I wanna just ask you to consider this. Notice that Cyrus set the Jewish exiles free from their first political captivity by how? Conquering a political rival, by conquering Babylon. Jesus would set us free from our captivity to sin by dying on a cross. See, but to show that death and sin have no hold over him, Jesus didn't just die for our sins, but he rose again from the grave such that anyone who places their trust in Jesus Christ, not in how good they are, but in how good God is, not in what they have to do, but what Jesus has done. They are called children of God. They are called forgiven of their sins. They are called members of God's family. They are called members with eternal life. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, is pointing us in that direction. Now, what do we do with all of this? Let me end today by three ways that we can respond to Isaiah 53. Number one, grieve that your sins put Jesus on the cross. You know, I've never used the word grieve in an application to a sermon before. It's kind of weird for me to say, oh yeah, cry. We, like it just, it's just a weird, little weird to say that, but there's a place for it. And in fact, there's a biblical reason for it. James chapter four, verse eight to 10 says, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When I say grieve that your sins put Jesus on the cross, I don't necessarily mean that you need to shed tears. Although if you've never, ever, 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 ever in your life shed a tear when you think 
think about what Jesus did for you, then I think maybe there's something that, to, that, that needs to be looked at there. But the fact is, uh, I'm not requiring you to shed tears or to weep today. But uh, what I'm telling you to do is this, is we need to really take a good look at what it costs Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And if you've never felt bad for sinning, not bad that you got caught, but bad for what it did to God's name or bad for the way it affected your relationship with God or bad for the way that it, it hurt other people, if you've never felt that remorse for sin, then it's time to go to a place of grieving that your sins put Jesus on the cross. See, when, when Peter, he spoke to this huge crowd in Acts chapter two, and the Bible says that when he spoke about Jesus, the, the, the people were cut to the heart, is that they, they felt it emotionally, that, that their sins had put Jesus on, on the cross. See, you're not supposed to read Isaiah 53 and just go, oh, that's nice. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. That's nice. So, you know, Isaiah 53 is actually a sobbing song. It's, it's written with a kind of rhythm in it where in original Hebrew, it actually sounds like you're stuttering as if you're weeping. It's like, you know, when you're weeping, you can't really get the words out smoothly. That's the way that Isaiah 53 sounds in Hebrew. And so with that in mind, my question for you is, who is someone you hurt this past week? Who is someone maybe with your words or with your actions or your inaction or, or this past year, someone that you hurt where you need to go more than anyone to God first and go, God, I'm sorry, and confess your sins to God. Who's, who, what, what is something that you've done in the past, something you've said, something that, that a decision you made where you're like, you know what, that put Jesus on the cross and I'm so sorry. See, see that, that there's a place for grieving. We're a church that loves to say the best is yet to come. We're a church that talks about, you know, we have contagious hope. But sometimes before we can get to say the best is yet to come, before we can get to contagious hope, sometimes we need to grieve. And Isaiah 53 gives us that opportunity to do so. We need to be humble. Just like Paul said, Christ died for sinners of whom I am the worst. Instead of pointing to other people's sins and, and what they did wrong, it's about saying, you know, I put Jesus on the cross. We esteemed him him not. And so turn your neighbor and say, you know, that's me. That's me. I put Jesus on the cross. Number two, receive God's forgiveness expressed through Jesus Christ. See, don't just grieve, but receive. See, you don't need to wait until you've read the Bible backwards and forwards and gone to church for years and years and years before you take the step of receiving God's forgiveness. You know, in Acts chapter eight, there's this Ethiopian man who is in his chariot reading Isaiah 53, the same passage we're reading today. And God says that Philip, who's an apostle, he's, he's a Christian, he, he comes to this man's side and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he's like, you know, how, how can I understand this unless someone like, like explains it to me? And he sits down beside this Ethiopian man and he explains from this passage what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And this man, this Ethiopian man, he decides, you know what? I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna get baptized right now. See, you can receive God's forgiveness expressed through Jesus Christ today. You don't need to wait. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You should do it today. Encourage you to do it today. Turn to him and say, do it today. Do it today. Don't wait for God's grace. Accept it and receive it today. Number three, serve the way Jesus served. Live your life for Jesus. You know, the residential school system of Canada that we talked about earlier on today, it missed the point of what Christian missions is about. See, Christian missions is not about forcing and coercing people to believe in Jesus. How can you do that? You can't. You can't force someone to believe something that they don't believe. What you can do, though, is you can love people. 
and you can serve people. See, the, 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 the thing was this, let me tell you this way. Christian mission without love is terrorism. Christian mission without humility is terrorism. And, and see, Jesus didn't come to force people. He came as a suffering servant to serve people's needs and build bridges to people who didn't know him. And we are called to do the same today. Thrive Church, we are called to follow in the footsteps of this suffering servant, knowing that one day, one day, that suffering servant is going to come back and he's going to be our conquering king. But in the kingdom of God, greatness is about serving. Greatness is about servanthood. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. The greatest example of all, his name is Jesus. And we're called to follow him. And so in response to Isaiah 53, let's serve the way that Jesus served. Let's live for Jesus Christ in all that we do, in the things we say, in the decisions we make, in the private, in the public, in the open, in the dark. Let's live for Jesus because it's all about him. Praise God. You know, today we learned that God is more concerned about your spiritual condition than any other aspect of your life. He's more concerned about your character than your career. He's more concerned about your heart than even your physical health. And see, healing begins when we understand that Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins. And so if you realize that you need God's forgiveness today for sin, then I want to give you the opportunity to receive that forgiveness. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And I encourage you to do this. Is I'm going to show you a link in your chat room. Our team's going to show you a, 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 a QR code on your screen. You can click that or scan that. And it's going to take you to a page with a prayer on it that you can pray to simply pray to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And it's not so much the words that we speak as much as it's the attitude of our hearts that counts. I want to encourage you to do that, to pray that prayer. So go ahead and click that link. Go ahead and, and scan that QR code. And just so you're not doing it alone, I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And you can just repeat this after me. And this is just our way of receiving God's grace and forgiveness for our lives. So would you just do that together with me? You can just pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you have done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that from your heart, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You're a member of God's family. And you have what the Bible calls eternal life. And the best is yet to come. And I want to encourage you to make the most of this prayer that you prayed, this decision you've made by clicking the link underneath that prayer that you just prayed. It'll take you to a gift link where we want to give you a gift to encourage you in this new relationship with God. We also encourage you to keep coming to church because every baby needs a family and we'd love to be your spiritual family to grow. And uh, in addition to that, we encourage you to get baptized. Just like the Ethiopian uh, man in Acts 8 got baptized on the same day that he received Jesus, I encourage you to get baptized quickly after you receive Jesus. You don't have to wait your... You know, years and years and years, you, you, as long as you know that I'm a sinner who needs a savior, his name is Jesus, that's all you need to get baptized. And so I encourage you to go to mythought.info to sign up for baptism for more information on baptism. 
Next thing I want to do is I want to just give those of you who are in a season of waiting yourself right now a time to pray and respond to God. See, when we go through seasons of waiting, when we go through seasons when things don't go our way, that's not God being cruel to us, but that is God doing something much more important than we think, is that he is using that season to show us something in our heart that maybe needs to be addressed. And I want to encourage you to not turn a blind eye to that, but to give attention to that is that God uses seasons of waiting to show us those spiritual issues on the inside that he wants us to address. Is there a spiritual issue that you need to address? Again, spiritual doesn't mean, you know, just like, you know, very stereotypical, mystical. I'm talking about your attitude. I'm talking about your relationship with God. I'm talking about your perspective, your values, your priorities right now, your habits right now, your character, you know, the way you're treating the people in your home right now. It's, it's that. It's that spiritual condition. Maybe it's a tendency to put your hope in something or a circumstance and not in God. Maybe that's your issue. Maybe it's a tendency to just be really discontent a lot of times. You, you complain a lot. You, you get frustrated really easily. You blame others often. You, know, you give up easily. Maybe it's your tendency to, to live kind of selfishly where you kind of not really think about how other people feel. You just kind of do your own thing. And you know, if, th- if that's you, then I-, I think God is maybe tapping on your shoulder and saying, there's work that we can do together. And I want to encourage you to do something with me today is we can pray together, believing that God is here and that he, because he cares about your spiritual condition and he's able to help, I encourage you to ask God for, your, for his help when it comes to that issue in your life. If you've got an issue of, about your spiritual condition that you, need, you know needs to be addressed today, why don't you lift up your hand to God right now and let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God. And in your own words, I'm just going to ask you to start to pray to God right now. Pray to God and you can even confess your sins to him today. Maybe it's pride that's been an issue for you. Maybe it's a bad temper that's been an issue for you. Maybe it's worry that's been an issue for you. Maybe it's lust that's been an issue for you. Maybe it's something else that's been an issue for you. You can just give that to God today and say, God, I need your help. God, I ask for your help. Thank you, God, that you came to rescue me from captivity, that you came to rescue me from my sin. Thank you, God, that you died on the cross for me and you give me your Holy Spirit so that I can live by your power as well. So we're just in your own words, just start talking to God right now. Just respond to God in this place. He loves you. He's listening. Just do that right now. Don't wait for me to stop talking or someone else to start talking. You just start talking to God. Come on, church. Just as the music is playing, as you're praying, just start drawing near to God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's it, church. Just start talking to God today. He loves you. He's listening. He's here. Just start talking to God today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I think I speak on behalf of every single person who's praying right now. When we confess that we are very broken people who need a Savior and who need your power to work in our lives so that we can live the kind of lives you made us to live. We say we need you, that without you, we can't do anything good. And we ask you today to fill our hearts again. Holy Spirit, would you fill us again to live for your glory and not our own, to live humbly and not pridefully, to live like Jesus and to serve Jesus and to do these things knowing that Jesus paid the highest price so that I could even have this moment to talk to you right now. So thank you, Jesus, that with you all things are possible. Thank you, Jesus, that we can grieve in your presence, receive your grace in your presence, 
presence. Find hope in your presence and say that because Jesus Christ is here and Jesus reigns and he's highly exalted and he's in control, that the best is yet to come. We thank you and we give you praise and we give everything to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Praise God. Right now, we're going to respond to God further by singing the song with our worship band. At the same time, for those of you who call Thrive Church or Home Church, or you just believe in the work that God is doing here, I want to invite you to give your faithful tithes, your generous offerings, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds everything we need and he builds his church through us. And like I said at the beginning of today's service, is that today, in response to the news we've heard about what happened to 215 children at a residential school in Kamloops, today, as we give a portion of of our offerings are going to be going toward supporting the, again, excuse my pronunciation, the Kuus Crisis Helpline Society uh, as they provide 24-7 year-round support to Indigenous and First Nations people who are going through trauma, whether it's related to residential schools or addiction or suicide ideation uh, or family issues. And so let's give generously to God, knowing that we can really make a difference in a positive positive way when it comes to people who've been hurt by residential schools. And so let's do that today, knowing that God is with us. Let's do that together right now. I can believe the way your love has gone morning I wake to find you near You lift me above my fears and set my feet on solid ground All of my days belong to you And I breathe in your breath of life that fills my heart you are my all-consuming fire I stand here before you In wide-open wonder Amazed at the glory of you The power of heaven Each morning I wake to find you near You lift me above my fears and set my feet on solid ground All of my days belong to you And I breathe in your breath of life that fills my heart my all-consuming fire I stand here before you In wide-open wonder Amazed at the glory 
God, a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Oh, come on, there's more in you than that. Give God all of your praise in this place. Right now, we want to do this together. It's called communion. It's a chance for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins, how he died on the cross. And I encourage you right now to grab that piece of bread and, and that cup. And if you received Jesus just now, just a few minutes ago, you can do this with us as well. I encourage you to grab a piece of bread, maybe a cracker, maybe that's all you have, that's okay. Maybe some water, that's okay. Uh, just quickly grab that. And I'm just gonna invite you to, to take that piece of bread. And uh, we're just gonna say this is, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after, way after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of many people's sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so in thankful remembrance of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, let's take this bread, let's dip it into the cup, and let's take it in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Before I pray, will you just take one more minute to pray for the families of those children whose remains were found in that grave at that residential school? Would you pray for God's healing, God's comfort to rest upon everyone? Would you pray for God's um, just hope to fill their lives somehow and that God would use the funds we'll be donating to the Ku'u's Crisis Helpline to really bring help to people who have survived uh, you know, the residential schools. And so we just take a moment, even now, just to pray in that direction. Father, we want to thank you so much that on a day like this, that not only do we grieve what happened at these residential schools, but we also look to you for the hope that only you can give. And we just pray all of your healing and peace to come to every person who is affected in any way, for every family whose child never came home, for every person who was affected, First Nations person, uh, Indigenous person, everyone who's infected in any, any way, we pray, God, for your healing and your comfort and your peace to rest upon them in such a supernatural way. And we just ask for that today. We thank you, Jesus, for all the things we learned from your word today. How we were made to serve this world with humility, with love, that we were made to follow in your footsteps. And just as you died on the cross to pay for our sins, help us, Lord Jesus, 
to sacrificially give of ourselves so that this world can be a better place. We thank you and we give you praise, knowing that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the grave, we always have hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an amazing week, everybody. That brings our service to a close, but our worship continues. Let's continue to worship God in all that we do. Those who haven't given yet, go to mythought.info to give. We'll see you guys next week for the continuation of our series, Waiting for Sunrise. We can't wait to see you again. Go to mythought.info for more steps and next steps to take. We love you guys. God loves you. Praise God. We'll see you guys really soon. Take care, everybody. Wow, what an amazing time we got to spend together today. There were so many times throughout today's message that I felt like God was speaking directly to me. What a powerful message. Thank you, Pastor JB. Anyway, let's get into some announcements. If this is your first time here, we're so thankful that you chose to spend your precious time with us today. We would love to connect with you. Please text me to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we'll mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. It's one of my favorite water bottles and I'm sure you'll love it too. If you prayed the prayer earlier to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, a big congratulations to you. We'll be honored if you can share the great news with us. We prepared a very special gift to you and a series of videos to answer some of your questions about Christianity. Simply text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and click I want to ask Jesus into my life. There will be a link to an online form. It will only take less than a minute to fill out and we'll send you the gift package right to your door. If you want to be baptized or learn more about baptism, you can find all the information you need at mythrive.info as well. Father's Day. Father's Day is coming up in a few weeks. Thrive Church has prepared a special gift to all the super dads out there. If you're a dad, please visit mythrive.info and let us know your mailing address so you'll receive the gift during the week leading to Father's Day. Also, I want to encourage you to partner with us financially to support the ministries here at Thrive Church. A portion of our offerings this Sunday will be going towards the Crew Us Crisis Line Society that provides a First Nations and Indigenous crisis line available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, toll-free from anywhere in British Columbia. The society supports individuals in regards to mental health issues and crises related to residential schools, child welfare, addiction, health concerns, divorce and separation, suicide, grief, loss, financial distress, and many more. So remember to give your tithes and offerings at mythrive.info today. I hope you all had a lovely time here at Thrive Church Online. Please invite all of your friends and family to tune in with you next week as we continue to learn how to keep hope alive in the book of Isaiah in our Waiting for Sunrise series. Have a lovely week ahead and I'll see you next week right here at Thrive Church Online. Bye!